The Malaysian State Investment Fund, known as 1MDB, is at the center of a multi-billion dollar scandal involving international money laundering and embezzlement. And according to the Wall Street Journal, tens of billions of dollars every year move through opaque law firm bank accounts that create a gap in U.S. anti-money laundering safeguards. U.S. law firms are required by attorney-client privilege to protect the confidentiality of pooled client accounts. My guest is Elise Bean, professor at Wayne State University Law School. Elise, first tell us about these pooled accounts of clients' money that law firms hold. Well, 46 states and D.C. require law firms to set up accounts where they pool money they receive from clients. They then uh, take any interest that is earned by those accounts and use them for various public interest legal work. So those are called IOLTA accounts. And um, the Wall Street Journal estimated that uh, in one year, the interest earned from those accounts was $78 million. From that, they estimated that the underlying funds were anywhere from $36 billion to $400 billion that flowed through those accounts in a single year, depending upon how quickly the money flowed through the accounts. They estimated that the money was often there for only a few days or a few weeks. Elise, how did this allegedly work, that the money from uh, Malaysia, a Malaysian fund, came into these law firms? Well, from what I can tell, the Wall Street Journal investigation looked at the U.S. forfeiture complaints that had been filed by the U.S. Department of Justice. And what they did is they traced money that came into these law firm accounts. For example, they traced $489 million that was deposited into accounts at Sherman and Sterling Law Firm and later at Sullivan Cromwell Law Firm. And those were monies that were deposited by individuals involved in the um, Malaysian uh, corruption scandal. Now, there's a difference between what a bank has to say to regulators and what a law firm has to say. And the law firm here is using, say, all the law firms, no one has accused the law firms of doing anything wrong, that, they're, that they can't say what's going on because of attorney-client privilege. Can you explain that a little bit more? Well, the typical anti-money laundering rules require banks, for example, to know their clients, to evaluate the sources of the funds that are being put into their accounts, and to report any suspe- suspicious transactions to law enforcement. Um, In the United States, lawyers, in most of the rest of the world, including the European Union, lawyers are subject to the exact same rules. But in the United States, uh, the law firms have said we can't provide that information because it would violate attorney-client privilege. The response to that is, well, when you're performing a mechanical duty, such as just depositing money into an account that doesn't involve legal advice, and you ought to be like the banks are, you should know your customers, you should evaluate the source of those funds, and report any suspicious transactions to law enforcement. But as it stands today, the U.S. does not impose that anti-money laundering requirement on law firms, and so money goes into their account, they have no obligation to evaluate it, and now we've seen several examples of suspect funds going through those accounts. Has the American Bar Association taken a stand on this? Well, they have issued voluntary guidelines to lawyers on anti-money laundering obligations. So they have a voluntary best practices telling lawyers that you should be careful about the kinds of money that you accept into your accounts. 
but there's nothing mandatory. And if lawyers don't follow the best practices, there's no penalty for them doing that. And and there's there's absolutely no rule that that requires them to to do to do this to do a double check. That's right. The anti-money laundering rules apply to a lot of different players in the market. They apply to banks and uh, securities firms, insurance companies, even places like jewelry stores, places that handle a lot of cash. But the lawyers have managed to exempt themselves from that list of um, entities that have to apply with the anti-money laundering requirements. I've been talking with Elise Bean, professor at Wayne State University Law School and a former Senate investigator about this. And... Elise, the ABA successfully pushed for pooled trust accounts to be exempt from new federal rules requiring financial institutions to know the beneficial owners of accounts that are named in legal entities such as shell companies. Does this make it easy for very the super wealthy to move their money beyond the oversight of government authorities? Well, law firm accounts can be a a large loophole that wealthy clients could take advantage of if the law firms allow them to do it. If the law firms say, well, you know, best practices is I should ask questions, but I don't have to legally, and so I'm not going to, uh, their clients could move suspect money through their accounts, and that's happened in the past. Give us some specific examples of suspect funds or transactions. Well, in addition to the Malaysian corruption case we were just talking about, one that I looked at when I worked for Senator Carl Levin in the U.S. Senate was Teodoro Obiang, who is the son of the president of Equatorial Guinea. We were able to show that he brought millions of dollars in suspect funds into um, law firm accounts that were opened by lawyers for him in the state of California. He used that money to buy uh, a mansion in Malibu, a personal jet, even Michael Jackson memorabilia, including uh, one of the gloves. Uh, In 2011, the Department of Justice filed a forfeiture complaint uh, alleging that all of that property had been uh, purchased with funds that were the product of corruption and other wrongdoing. In 2014, there was a settlement. The settlement allowed the United States to keep everything except for the jet. So that's one specific example of somebody who deliberately used lawyer accounts to bring money into the country Uh, and to get around anti-money laundering laws that had made it very difficult for him to open accounts in his own name. A second example is Scott Rothstein, an attorney from Florida. He was convicted of uh, participating in a $1.2 billion Ponzi scheme. He had deposited millions of dollars into client accounts, his law firm's client accounts, at two banks in Florida. Those banks were actually fined over $50 million for failing to ask any questions about the highly suspect funds going into those accounts. Uh, One last example, 60 Minutes recently broadcast uh, a piece about a sting in which New York law firms were asked to help um, an African minister bring money into the United States. It was a sting. It wasn't for real. But one lawyer explained to, uh, as part of the scheme, that he could bring money into the United States through his client escrow account. So we know it's happening. Elise, what makes the the law firm subject to any kind of penalties? Where's the line? Well, there is a, you know, a federal law, a criminal law, that says if you facilitate money laundering and you know you're doing it, then you are breaking the law and you can be part of a conspiracy to commit money laundering. So there is that law that's out there. But what's going on here is 
you have a client of yours and you have no legal obligation to ask them where those millions of dollars are coming from that they're putting into your account and then using, for example, in the Malaysian case, they bought real estate in the names of uh, shell companies uh, and they nobody asked any questions about hundreds of millions of dollars being used to purchase that property. We're joined now by Richard Painter, professor at the University of Minnesota Law School. Richard, the Financial Action Task Force, which is an international group to combat money laundering procedures and puts out rules, has criticized the U.S.'s limited oversight of lawyers. Do you believe there should be more oversight of lawyers and these funds that they hold for their clients? Uh, well, lawyers should certainly know uh, what the clients are doing with the money that's going into the lawyer's trust account. Uh, they should know where the money is coming from and where it is going. These are clients of the lawyer, and the lawyer's trust account is to be used uh, for matters uh, that are connected with representation by the lawyer. And so the notion that the lawyer just doesn't know what's going on, but they're letting their account uh, their uh, client trust account be used in this way is absurd. Uh, so whether uh, the regulation has to be at the federal level or can be at the level of the state bar associations, which traditionally regulate lawyers, is, is a matter uh, yet to be determined, which is going to be the most effective way to deal with this. Uh, we found out back in 2002 that the state bars were not regulating the securities lawyers. And then after Enron and Wilcom, the Congress decided there was going to be federal regulation of security lawyers. So this may end up being an aspect of lawyer um, uh, practice, of law practice, that's regulated by uh, the federal government. But what the state about, bars don't crack down. Richard, what about attorney-client privilege? Well, the attorney-client privilege is for protecting the communications from the client for the purpose of seeking legal advice. It does not allow the client uh, to use the lawyer to perpetrate a fraud or to engage in money laundering. There is a client fraud exception to the attorney-client privilege. Uh, so that's not uh, that's not what the privilege is there for. And this has nothing to do with seeking legal advice. It's just about using the lawyer's trust account to launder money, and that, that's not appropriate. Do you agree, Elise, that uh, lawyers are perhaps hiding behind the attorney-client privilege? I do. And I think that the Wall Street Journal investigation, because of the examples that they've put forward and the huge amounts of money involved when they're estimating 36 to $400 billion a year, I think that's really put regulators on notice and banks on notice that law firm accounts need to be looked at more carefully. So what's the next step then, Richard? Well, the next step is for the law firms to very carefully scrutinize what's going on in their accounts. Uh, because they're going to be held responsible for this. Uh, there's no way that a lawyer can, with a straight face, say that they don't know where the money came from and where it's going in their client trust account. That, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, these are lawyers who represent these clients and uh, in connection with their business affairs. And if lawyers are uh, knowingly letting, letting other money come into the account, they don't know where it comes from. I mean, that's... that's uh, uh, irresponsible and uh, you know I think that is aiding and abetting a client crime uh, so lawyers need to take the initiative here and if they don't uh, we're gonna have to have the state bar associations crack down or uh, once again the money laundering laws would 
apply to lawyers as well as everyone else. There's no attorney-client privilege exception to uh, uh, to money laundering laws. So if the feds have to uh, make an example of some people, then that's what they have to do. So, Elise, instead of the the Bar Association, it, is it more likely that we'll see the SEC or federal prosecutors going after this? Well, that's a possibility. Um, when you look at the Rothstein case, they actually had two banks that were fined over $50 million for for allowing this to go on. I think the next step is for banks to protect themselves is to, for example, they could get a certification from the law firm that they will not be using their account to enable clients to get around the anti-money laundering safeguards that the bank otherwise has in place. That's an easy thing that banks could do. Uh, the next step up is for regulators to impose some special requirements on banks to exercise more careful scrutiny of these lawyers' accounts. Well, I want to thank you both. This is really a fascinating area that I think we don't think about enough because we're always thinking about regulation of banks and not so much regulation of the law firms. That's Richard Painter. He's a professor at the University of Minnesota Law School. And Elise Bean, she's a professor at Wayne State University Law School and a former Senate investigator. Coming up on Bloomberg Law, we all know our Miranda rights. If you've watched TV or you've gone to the movies and seen the police around arrest someone, you probably know them by heart. One is that you have the right to an attorney, and that may seem to be pretty clear. But to this day, so many years after Miranda, there are still cases trying to parse exactly what that means. And in Michigan, there's going to be a hearing before the Supreme Court about whether you're entitled to an attorney at your preliminary hearing. That's coming up next on Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. This is Bloomberg.